Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by pastoral resident Ian Mulraney. Yeah, so Matthew 28. So this chapter is the last chapter in Matthew's gospel, the biography he wrote about Jesus. And actually, the passage we're in is the very last paragraph of the very last chapter. So this is the end of Matthew's gospel. This is the end of the book. Um, Jesus, we've seen his virgin birth. We've seen him begin his ministry and do teachings and heal and do miracles. And he's been betrayed and crucified. And actually, now he's been resurrected. And we find ourselves joining the disciples, going to a hill in Galilee, which he had appointed for them to meet him at. And this is where we end it. The story of Jesus is according to the Apostle Matthew. And it's kind of interesting, right? Um, that these are the last words Matthew writes about Jesus because it just kind of ends here. There's no ascension. There's no, and we, they lived happily ever after. It just ends with Jesus giving this graduation ceremony of sorts to his disciples. And I think there's reasons for that. Um, And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But yeah, uh, I just want to establish before we get really into it today, we're going to go line by line just because I think every part of this passage is worth looking at. Um, But overall, what I want you to learn today is this, that... Um, Jesus' great commission is for you to to live a life of transformation that has you look more like Jesus every day. And when you do that, you get to help others look like Jesus too. Cool. So, to start, I want to dispel a myth that I think I have believed often in my life. And that is this. If I were to tell you that there's somebody who was called by God for an important mission to go do something for the kingdom of God. Think of what kind of person that might be. What are like your stereotypical things? Are they somebody who is gung-ho for God? Do they read their Bible daily? Do they pray frequently and often? They probably live a clean life. Um, They listen to insert popular Christian music band here and are probably a graduate of Cairn University, if we're being honest. Right? We imagine these very clean living, holy, seeking God with all your life people. But when we look at the 12, well, the 11 technically, because one of them betrayed Jesus, the 11 who are here at the Great Commission, what are the people we see? They're actually a real bag of characters. We have political rebels, we have fishermen, we have tax collectors. And these 11 disciples were not the holiest of characters. They were a gang of ruffians, right? What we see from them all through the pages of scripture is Jesus constantly having to correct, to rebuke them. They can't cast out demons. Uh, They are arguing amongst themselves about which one is the greatest they uh, just seem to, they don't understand Jesus' teachings, and the Gospels even say that. And it just seems like these guys who Jesus chose, they should be higher and above everybody else. But even the three, Peter, James, and John, James and John get nicknamed the Sons of Thunder by Jesus, 
which has a pretty aggressive connotation to it, that they might not have been the most peaceful personality types. Let's not forget that John is the disciple who made sure everybody knew he could beat Peter in a foot race, right? Peter, speaking of, was called by Jesus Satan at one point, right? And besides that, just the page before, if you flip one page before where we are in the Bible, he's betraying or Jesus by denying him and saying he never knew him. So these are Jesus' inner people that he's called to himself <laughs> and is sending out on this great commission, his most important mission of all time to transform the world into the kingdom of God. And even here, the last ink that Matthew spills about these guys, uh, verse 17, well, 16 to 17, then did 11 go to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. You can hit that. But some doubted. Even when they are looking the resurrected face of love, like they're in his presence. They're the 11 who he told multiple times that he was going to die and come back from the dead. And they show up and they're seeing him and they still doubt. Even at the end, that's the last we get about these guys from Matthew. They doubted. And they're not the most functioning organization of people. Like if you were a church planting board, these are not the 11 that you would want to send out to establish the kingdom of God to Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. And yet, here we are. Jesus commissioning them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to go and make disciples. Why these guys? He chose them, and they showed up. Even if they harbored doubts about Jesus being alive again, they still came. They still came to the appointed meeting place. And even though they saw him and heard his voice and asked themselves if they were hallucinating or not, they still went out to the ends of the earth with the gospel. And if we're to believe uh, the stories, if they're true, they go farther than the borders of the Roman Empire will ever reach in their lifetimes, bringing the kingdom of God, bringing the gospel of Jesus. And all of them are going to suffer, and most of them are going to die. And they doubted. And so before we get into Jesus' mission for us today and for the 11 and for the church, this is a reminder. You don't have to be the best Christian. You don't have to be the most solid faith you can show up at the foot of the resurrected Jesus and say, is this real? Am I really experiencing this or is this an illusion? You can wake up and say, I'm not the best person. I'm not actually a good person. Can God really use me? Because if you still show up for church, if you still study the scriptures, if you still forgive your enemies, if you still are generous to the poor, if you give away your possessions, time, and wealth to people who can't ever repay you back, if you still hope and believe that even if you're not 100% sure or confident or think you're living fully to the expectations, but you hope that this God is real because it's the only good thing you found in life, then there is a great commission for you, and Jesus can use you. So I say this at the beginning to say you can't disqualify yourself from what's coming next. Everybody can be used by God. And uh, 
Jesus showed us this in the 11 he chose and commissioned. And so here we are. We're getting into the actual words of Jesus now. And uh, yeah, they start pretty powerfully. And the cool thing about this passage is like every line you could probably pull like an hour long teaching from. So that's what I'm going to do. No, just kidding. I'm not. <laughs> I would do like a series, but um, yeah, I, there's so much good stuff in here, but we don't have time to focus on all of it. So I'm going to go over this next part pretty quickly, but I think we should just pause and take some time because it's really cool. This is Jesus's opening words of his great commission. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So, what does that mean? All authority has been given to Jesus, right? I think, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I think we tend to think that Jesus died, he resurrected, he's up in heaven now, and one day he's coming back, and then everything's going to be under his control and power, and the kingdom will come and all things will be made right again. But he's saying that right now, at that moment, after he had died and came back from the dead, that is when all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He has total authority now. So what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus is already in control? What does it mean for us as people who follow him? And what does it mean for the establishments of power that are in place? Well, I think it's a little bit like the latter theory. Are any of you guys familiar with this? Oh, yeah. Yes. The latter theory is the idea that if you walk into any building or restricted area carrying a ladder, nobody is going to stop you because they think you belong there. This is the best uh, image I could find because it says fancy restaurant on the bottom. So that way you, it implies he's going into a fancy restaurant with a ladder. Very comically uh, highlighted. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> this guy going to a restaurant with a ladder. Um, if you want to amuse yourselves, Google image search man carrying ladder into places and you're going to find a wild variety of pictures that just are very entertaining and obscure and I never would have done otherwise. But, <laughs> so, that's your homework. Um, Google man carrying ladder. Or person carrying ladder. But yeah, so you can find like videos of people sneaking into movie theaters, things like that, carrying ladders because they just walk in and people think that they're supposed to be there and that they belong there. And so, I think Jesus essentially is giving us our ladder, right? If he is the one who has complete control and authority, that means all these institutions and power structures, governments, principalities, kingdoms, their power is only temporary and merely illusional, right? And so, we have the authority from Jesus that as Christians, we're allowed to show up in these spaces and start doing his work. It means we have permission to walk into courtrooms, classrooms, palaces, refugee camps, abortion clinics, even churches, dare I say, with the authority of Jesus 
And if people say, what are you doing here? You can say, I'm supposed to be here. Now, I'm not saying go out and be an SOB about it, son of Beelzebul. But I am saying that if you have a crazy dream or a vision to make the world or your neighborhood around you, or to just share the gospel in places where it feels like that is not an invited welcome or invited, I dare you to trust the spirit and just go. Just start gathering people to be on board with your vision. Go knowing that this is already Christ's kingdom, that he is on the throne, and human authority will one day and already has fallen away. So, like I said, I'm not going to go too much more into this, but if you have any questions, want to talk more about this part, find me afterwards, because I would love to. But I do want to get into the Great Commission part of the Great Commission, and um, this is the part that many of you are probably most familiar with, if you are familiar with this passage. And... uh, Here's how it goes. So, Jesus said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So, I was expecting a round of applause because that's the Great Commission, but that's okay. <laughs> so, all right, when I was taught the Great Commission, it was summed up for me in three easy steps. Um, Ready? Here you go. Here's three easy steps for the Great Commission. Go, baptize, and teach. I propose to you the Mulraney summation of the Great Commission, because I think you can condense that even more. And I propose an alternate, even simpler, which is make disciples. My logic being that if you are making disciples, if you're in the process of making disciples, you're already going to be doing those three other things. You're going to be going to places where people are. You're going to be sharing the word of God with them and baptizing them into the family of Christ. And you're going to be teaching them everything Jesus said and done. But before I continue with the process of talking about the Great Commission and making disciples, I want to make sure our definitions are the same. Um... Because here's what, when I read, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What I don't want you to hear is go and make converts of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a clear distinction, right? You, every disciple was at one point a convert, but not every convert is a disciple. And the fact that Jesus uses the word disciple, I think, is very important and one that deserves some of our time. Um, Yeah. There are times in Scripture when conversions are highlighted and really important. I think of the thief on the cross. I think of the Ethiopian eunuch. But those are highlighted as the exception to the rule of how the kingdom grows. But I think we're drawn to them because they can be a little sexy. They're a little action-packed and spontaneous, right? To be able to sit down with someone and just have them give their life to Jesus, especially in those moments where it's like you just meet. This is the only time you've ever interacted with them and you ever will, and your life changes theirs forever, they change your life forever. That's a really great story. Compared to discipleship, on the other hand, which is the slow slog of everyday life, of waking up, clocking in, going to sleep, doing it all over again. 
It's a slower process that takes time, months, years, like watching your garden grow or raising children. There's no flash or glamour in the routine of being shaped to look like Jesus. In case you didn't know, discipleship is exactly that. Actually, the word disciple literally means student, right? It's not, wasn't originally a religious term. Uh, we were all presumably disciples of some form of educational system in the past. But I think we'd use the term, don't translate it as student in the scriptures, because one, it sounds fancier. But two, uh, there was a privileged sort of status in Judean culture for disciples. Not everybody went on to be a rabbi's disciple. How the education system worked was in uh, ancient Israel, when Jesus was around, all young students were sent to uh, alpha school, where they were taught basic arithmetic, and they were taught how the basics of reading and writing. And once you got a little bit older, around 9, 10, 11, 12, um, most students then were done with school for the rest of their lives and went to help in the family trade or business or go get married and have children. But the exceptional students, those who showed the most promise and potential, went on to beta school, essentially high school, where they were then taught more formal education. They, they went deeper into learning the Torah and um, how to be more literate and uh, more advanced forms of higher learning. And then after beta school, once you were big enough to be uh, well, <laughs> once you were done with beta school, there was one important step left on your education path, and this was leading you on track to being a rabbi. And that was you went out and found a rabbi who you wanted to be exactly like. You found a rabbi who inspired you, who you thought was wise, and you went up to them and uh, asked to follow them. They would do a trial period with you a week or two, and if they thought you had the potential to be just like them, if they thought they could teach you something, they would then invite you to follow me. Follow me. An invitation to come and learn to be like the rabbi. And if that invitation was made, here's what discipleship looked like next. Oh, you can go back. Yeah. It wasn't like you wake up you go there from 7 to 3 p.m., and then you come home. If the rabbi invited you to follow him, your life was now one with the rabbis. You went where the rabbi went. You ate what the rabbi ate. You slept where the rabbi slept. Your life, for the duration of your tenure under their study, was the rabbi's life. Because you were not just learning to pray like the rabbi or study like the rabbi, even though those were important facets you were actually learning to live life like the rabbi lived his life. You were surrendering your identity to become the rabbi's identity um, in all facets and areas of life. In the Talmud, actually, Rabbi Akiva records that he learned three valuable lessons from observing his rabbi use the toilet. Every facet of life was open. They shared everything. It was literally life on life.
And then, after a period of time, a couple of years, when the rabbi felt like he had taught everything, when the rabbi looked out and saw that people were speaking the lessons he spoke, his students, when his disciples were eating the meals he ate, and he could see replicas of himself, he would pull them aside and tell them, go, it is time for you to make disciples of your own. Does that sound a little familiar? Jesus' disciples, who began with his invitation to follow him, ends here tonight with the Great Commission at this graduation ceremony, like I said. That even in spite of these disciples' mistakes and doubts, Jesus still looked out and had faith in this group that he walked intimately with for three years. And he, the Son of God, looked out and saw his image reflected in each of them. He saw the Messiah in his disciples, and he commissions them here tonight to go, to baptize, to teach, fully giving them authority and confidence that when they spoke, it would be his words, that when they healed, people would see him healing, that when they laughed or ate or slept, that they were bearing the image of Christ into the world. And that's what being a Christian is all about. It's not just saying a prayer. It's not just like reading your Bible every day, it's you are the image of Christ in the world around you. Like that's powerful. Take that in. You are bearing the image of Christ if you call yourself a Christian. And that's actually what Christian means, right? Little Christ. And so at the Great Commission, the story of the Bible is doing another circle because just as the mission of man in the garden which was to reflect the image of God to be made in his image is now coming full circle the chains of sin are being broken and no longer do we reflect sin but we reflect the image of God Amen so hear this though to be a disciple means you have to be committed right? you have to be willing to be a student who is going to Surrender every part of your identity to look like Jesus, um, to look like what Jesus looks like, to put to death yourself so that the image of Christ can be put on you. And you can, uh, yeah, I, I love this image, right? Just kind of like this multiplication of um, identity that it starts here and it just grows and grows and grows. This is what discipleship looks like because as Jesus made disciples, they make disciples and as we become disciples, we make disciples, and on and on and on, the image of Christ grows. So it takes commitment, and it takes a losing of yourself in order to look like Jesus. But if you do this, if you're committed and willing to put to death your identity in order to take on the identity of Christ, something amazing happens. You actually become more of the person that Jesus created you to be in the first place, Right? In losing yourself, you're actually finding yourself. When you shed yourself of your greed, your sexual sins, your malice. Hello. <laughs> um, you're shedding a part of yourself that was never meant to be there in the first place. And you're putting on an identity which you were created to have. The image of God, the light of Christ, shining forth from you, bringing joy, patience, generosity, peace, love. You maintain the unique identity that God gave you 
with your gifts, your interests, your talents, but you become something more than what you were before. So it takes dedication to be a disciple and it takes vulnerability to make disciples. Yeah, like the discipleship process is less about asking a stranger on an airplane whether they're going to hell or heaven if the plane crashes and more about opening your life up to those who are around you. And the good news is that we can disciple people anywhere, right? It can be almost anyone. It can be our friends. It can be our coworkers. It can be our children. It just requires sharing about God and your faith. That's part of it. And it also just requires opening your lives up to those who are around you. Um, I want to build up the Richardsons because... I think you guys do a tremendous job of this. When I first started coming to Redemption, there were actually a number of people who talked about James and Krista as just being champions of this sort of life-on-life vulnerability um, that just told me and Amanda about how much their lives had been changed, not through any, like there were a couple important conversations, but they were born out of just James and Krista being willing to share their home, share meals, show people how to work on cars and things like that, and just doing the day-to-day steps of life to build relationships and show what it looks like to be a married Christian family, um, to show what their faith looks like in times of crises, to show what their faith looks like uh, in times of success and struggling um, and failure and in, in all of it. So good job, guys, because that was part of me saying, like, oh, there's people here that smell like Jesus. Um, so yeah, so look to James and Krista, but also you can definitely do this yourselves too. Just make yourself available to people. You can ask people, invite them into your lives. You can even be honest and open and like, hey, I want to invest in you. Just be faithful to do the boring, plotting day-to-day work of seeking God daily. And eventually, one day, you'll have your own little Christ who you get to tell to go make disciples of himself. And so the very last line of the Great Commission, we're left with a reminder. This is the reminder that we're not doing it alone. And this is why I think Matthew doesn't end uh, with the ascension. Because what Jesus says, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Hit that slide, Gary. (laughs) Hit it one more time, Gary. Amen. At God cares, bro. That's that's the... uh... (laughs) Fear not. I am always with you, surely to the end of the age. This is a beautiful sentiment, right? And I'm sure plenty of grandmas have this image hung up in their home. But... (laughs) think sometimes it seems purely metaphorical right like it just is kind of like a nice notion that ghost Jesus is walking behind us as we're going through the ups and downs of life so um yeah I feel like in reality many times it feels like we're doing it alone without Jesus though that Jesus is just this invisible spirit that sometimes we can sense sometimes we can't But he says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
And I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I felt and wished that I could feel a more physical and real presence from Jesus beyond just this grandma ghost Jesus. Last year, I was able to be on sabbatical for a couple of months. And I committed that time to praying and seeking the Lord um, in just really dedicated ways of like just spending time with Jesus and trying to discern his will for my life. And I'm not going to lie, part of me really hoped for this moment of just appearance, you know, like light from heaven and a voice telling me, Ian, this is how what I have for you and how I love you and things like that. And at the end of the four months of my sabbatical, that had never happened. And I had secretly hoped it would. I was hoping things were still unclear about our future and Amanda and I were pregnant and we just were confused about a lot of things. And I just wanted a clear voice and direction from God. And so after my sabbatical ended, I was at Woods one day eating my lunch and I had taken my lunch break outside at a picnic table. And I was just praying and saying, like, expressing my disappointment to God, like, you know, I'm not going to lie, I, I was hoping to see you, and I felt like a lot of this was just me sitting in, you know, rooms, just saying empty words to nobody. Where were you, God? Like, these past few months, where were you? And literally, as those words kind of came out of my mouth, one of my kids came around the corner who I worked with, um, and he was supposed to be inside, but somehow he had found me outside. And he just looked at me with this big smile. And he goes, Ian! And he, like, runs over and he, like, throws himself around me and gives me a big hug. And, like, as that happened, right after I asked the question of where were you, I felt like I heard a whisper of, like, I've been here. And I was reminded of, like, all the times in the Gospels that Jesus actually tells us that we can see him if we have the eyes to see. That when we work with people, that we can see the image of Christ in those around us. That we, when we gather together in his name, he is here with us. That when we take the body and the blood every week when we gather together, he is here amongst us. And so I think there is a time and place for metaphorical Grandma Jesus at God Cares Bro. But I think in another way, like, we can be reminded that Jesus is with us and he is around us always if we take the time to see him. It's really cool when there are those big transformational moments like uh, so Jesus appearing to Saul on the road to Damascus. And I think those moments still do happen. But just like with discipleship, I think much more God wants us to encounter him and interact with him in the slow, daily, plodding, day-to-day life. Just like the priests in Jesus' day could tell King Herod all about the prophecies of where the Messiah was going to be born and what it would look like when he came, yet they weren't the ones at the manger. It was the shepherds. Sometimes Jesus comes in ways that we don't expect him to, and so we have to keep our eyes open to see that. And so this is it. Um, this is the Great Commission that you can't be too bad or too unfaithful for Jesus, that you have authority to go and do the crazy things you've been dreaming of, that your mission is to go and make disciples and open your life up and share about the good news of Jesus with your words and your actions and just how you live. And that you can do this because you're not doing it alone, but Jesus is with you. 
And so here's our great commission today. Go, baptize, teach, make disciples. Give your whole lives to Christ so that you may reflect him. And as you reflect him to others, they're going to reflect him too. And as they reflect him to others, others will reflect him. And so on and so on, the kingdom of God comes. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.